Revelation chapter 1. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In Revelation chapter 5, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Father God, tonight, realize that what we are remembering is beyond human abilities to comprehend. And we pray tonight that the understanding that you want us to have be given to us by your Holy Spirit. As we partake of the body and the blood of Jesus, and in so doing, experience renewed spiritual life. Recite with me the two most familiar verses of Scripture, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Stand and sing with me, Here is Love. Here is love, fast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life a ransom shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can ever be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days on the mount of crucifixion fountains open deep and wide through the flood gates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide oh grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant 
from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love let me all thy love accepting love thee days let me seek thy kingdom only and my life be to thy praise oh thou alone shall be my glory nothing in the world I see Thou hast cleansed and sanctified me. Thou thyself hast set me free. In thy truth thou dost direct me. By thy spirit through thy word. And thy grace my need is meeting As I trust in thee, my Lord Of thy faithfulness thou art pouring Thy great love and power on me Without me full and boundless drawing out my heart to thee for while we were still helpless at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Aren't we thankful for God's amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind. But now I'm free. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear! I first believe through men. 
redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fount I know nothing but the blood of Jesus for my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus, this is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, 
precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. can be seated, please. This is my blood. That's what Jesus told his disciples in the upper room at their Passover meal. What a way to set the mood, huh? This is my blood. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now his disciples understood covenant, And they understood blood. They were very well versed in the Old Testament sacrificial system that required the blood of animals for the forgiveness of sin. But Jesus upped the ante. He said, this is my blood. Jesus said it's a new covenant. But just like the old covenant, the new covenant took blood. Let me say that again. It took blood. A cross, something like this one here, isn't the instrument of Jesus' torture and death, and especially isn't the instrument of our salvation without the shedding of blood. The writer of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The price for our salvation was a price that was paid in blood. No silver, no gold, nothing else of value or anything else costly or precious would do. It was the great exchange, Jesus' blood for our souls. In Luke's account, in Matthew's, it tells us Jesus said, this blood is poured out for you. Jesus called it the blood of the new covenant, a covenant's an agreement, and God initiated it and sealed it himself. He sealed it with the only thing that mattered, the only thing that was sufficient, and that was the blood of Jesus. Why blood? Because that's what it took. Life for life. You know, we take sin far too casually, far too lightly. That's why we can speak of things like white lies or fibs. That's why we can so casually dismiss things like pride or gossip or even a lack of thankfulness to God. Anger, worldliness, jealousy, judgmentalism. These are the sins that we tolerate in ourselves and sometimes in others. But murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and the other quote-unquote big sins aren't the only sins that required the blood of Jesus for forgiveness. The gospel is for sinners, and that includes everyone in this room tonight, for those who recognize their need of the gospel. Many Christians think of the gospel as mostly being for unbelievers. Once we trust in Christ, so the thinking goes, we no longer need the gospel. Well-intentioned believers sometimes find it all too easy 
to focus on the blatant sins of our evil culture, the people out there, while ignoring their own more subtle sins. We live in a culture where we can do everything we can to feel good about ourselves. But the Puritans in the 17th century had a very different perspective. They feared the effect of sin in their own lives, and they saw it for what it was. It was part of the ongoing battle within each of us. They recognized, just as the biblical writers did, that any sin breaks God's law. One Puritan writer named Thomas Watson wrote this, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. We need to take sin seriously because God did. My sin, my sin made Jesus shedding of blood on the cross necessary. One way we know that any sin breaks God's law is that that's what it took to save us. It took blood. A price had to be paid. And it took blood. That was the price. We are unable to pay that price. So someone else has to pay it for us. But not just anyone, someone perfect. Without the blood of Jesus, the gospel is dead, and we are deprived of eternal life. Again, Jesus told his disciples that night and tells us in his word, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And this is a recurrent theme in the Word of God. It's seen clearly foreshadowed in the Old Testament sacrificial system where the blood of sacrificial animals paid the price for covering over the sins of the people. But it was insufficient. That blood could only temporarily remove the stain of sin. What it took was not just blood, but the blood of a pure and perfect sacrifice. Jesus declared himself to be that pure and perfect sacrifice. This is my blood, Jesus said, shed for the remission of sins. And we see this theme shining brightly throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. He also explained in Colossians, we have redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Peter added, We are not redeemed with silver and gold and precious stones, but with the precious blood of Christ. Then the Apostle John agreed with Peter and Paul when he wrote, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now, some of us think blood is gross or gory. Some of us faint at the very sight of blood. Actually, I think we all seem to have kind of an innate sense that blood is not only important, but life-giving. But for those of us who are in Christ, blood has a whole new significance. It's not just what flows through my veins, bringing vital oxygen to all my internal organs and keeping me alive. Blood is significant because it's the only thing that can keep us alive forever with Christ. What can wash away my sin, as we just sang? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? We're broken people. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's why it's called precious. And precious, of course, means very, very valuable, even irreplaceable by anything else. There's no adequate substitution for something that's precious to you. 
We read this a moment ago, and let me read the whole passage or the whole couple verses. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So even though as believers in Christ, our hearts have been renewed, and even though in Christ we have been freed from the complete dominion of sin in our lives, and even though God's Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, the reality is that sin still lurks in us. It still battles against our souls. So we often act like the world around us that doesn't know Christ, and we live in denial of our own sin. It's because of this that we sometimes allow sins to grow and flourish in our lives, even again as believers in Christ. That's why we need the means of grace that God has given us, especially the means of grace that God gave us in the Lord's Supper. Even if we're saved, even if we're in Christ, we still need the good news of the gospel. The Lord's Supper reminds us that Christ shed his own blood for my soul. He suffered, he bled, he died for my sin. That's why we don't just share communion here at TCF once a month. Some churches do it once a month. We don't just share communion on this night each year. We do it every time we gather on Sunday mornings. Any sin, no matter how small, no matter how subtle, is an assault on the majesty and sovereign rule of God. Sin has been called cosmic treason. I believe that the primary, most significant understanding of Jesus' sacrifice is what theologians would call penal substitutionary atonement. Now, there's a big phrase for you to wrap your minds around. Yes, there are other aspects of Jesus' sacrifice that are very important for us to see and to understand. For example, his victory over sin and death is certainly important. Christus victor. His paying the ransom for us is also biblical, as we've just seen in a verse just a few moments ago. But penal substitutionary atonement is foundational for these under, other understandings of the atonement and the primary way we must understand Jesus' blood shed for us. Penal means penalty or punishment. Substitutionary means taking our place. Atonement means making us right, at one with God, first satisfying his righteousness and justice, and then also reconciling us to one another. This means that Jesus' blood shed for you and for me on the cross satisfied both God's righteousness and his wrath. It reconciled our rebellion against God, a rebellion that's made so evident in our sin. There's a great truth in the song that we often sing here in Christ alone. And on the cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. It's the reality that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And he took the place of sinners and endured the wrath of God on the cross as a substitute for those sinners like me, like you who deserved to experience that wrath instead of Jesus. It's the gospel that we celebrate each week when we come to the communion table. It's what we remember when we have baptisms buried with him in his death and raised to newness of life. The gospel is so odd, even to us as believers in Christ, that we have to get it again and again 
and again and again. That's why God's given us these means of grace and why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We forget. We live as if we forget. Paul wrote to the Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be the just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So Jesus is designated as the sacrifice of atonement because the cross is not only the place where the sinner places his sin, but Jesus himself is the means of forgiveness through his blood. And on the cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. An awesome truth, a humbling truth, a real revelation of several things, including God's love for us, but also including his wrath against everything that is unholy, including God's absolute hatred for sin, including the absolute horror of any sin that made such a horrible wrath absolutely justified. We diminish God's holiness and wrath when we fail to recognize how evil and sinful sin really is. We also diminish his love when we fail to recognize the good news, the gospel, that God the Father's wrath fell upon God the Son instead of on us, those who deserved it. Early church leader Anselm had a great response to those who thought that Christ's death was not a vicarious substitution made in our place. He said, you have not yet considered how great your sin is. We tend to downplay our sin. We also tend to downplay God's holiness. Sin and holiness cannot stand together. If divine wrath fell upon Christ, William Newell wrote, it must fall upon us for God cannot let sin pass if it fell not upon Christ. One of the most wonderful things about our faith is this. We humans are never the ones who take the initiative or make the ultimate sacrifice. We can only respond to his wonderful offer of mercy and grace. God himself provided the way for his wrath to be satisfied. Theologian Tony Lane wrote this, For most Western Christians, hate is the last word that would be associated with love. But a love that does not contain hatred of evil is not the love of which the Bible speaks. Not because we need to balance somehow God's wrath with his love as rival attributes, but because God's love itself implies his wrath. Without his wrath, God is simply not loving in the sense that the Bible portrays his love. It's easy for us to lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is our only hope. When we measure anything by our happiness rather than by God's holiness, our sense of being sinners can fall by the wayside. It can even become offensive to us. If we characterize God's forgiveness by only that one attribute of his, namely love, and that's what a lot of Christians do, and that's what a lot of the world does. God is love, end of sentence, period. 
But if we do that, we cheapen God's forgiveness and it becomes common and ordinary. When we make God's forgiveness only about his love, then his love isn't consistent with other vital aspects of God's character. Aspects like justice, like holiness, like righteousness. That makes love less than truly merciful. In other words, when we separate his love from his holiness, then it's not about forgiving. It's not about having compassion towards those who have judgment. In the blood of Jesus, God found a way to love sinners that does not violate his own holy character. The good news of the gospel must include the understanding that we're saved from the wrath of God, which all of us so richly deserve. The gospel is always bad news, good news. The only reason it's good news is because we avoid the bad news because of the blood of Jesus. In saving us hopeless sinners, God doesn't dumb down his standards. He doesn't relax his righteousness. He doesn't relax his justice or his holiness for the sake of love. What he does is clothe those of us who are in Christ with Christ's righteousness. In doing this, God's justice and his holiness are not sacrificed to his love. Instead, his love and his justice are both satisfied. Now think about this. If we think about it for very long, do we really want a God who just overlooks sin? At the cross of Christ, God the Father's own wrath falls on God the Son. And that wrath is satisfied for eternity for all of us who are in Christ. At the cross, through Jesus' blood, God made a way for his mercy and love to triumph over his justice and judgment but without dismissing his judgment. He didn't overlook sin. He paid the price for sin himself. One writer says that old theologians put it this way, we take refuge from God in God. The only escape from God's wrath is in God's mercy. If you cling to the cross, all God's wrath falls on the one nailed there. Now that's the gospel, my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's good news, indeed. That's the meaning of gospel, good news. Let's remember that. Let's remember that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper each week. Let's think about this as we come to his marvelous table of grace tonight in this room. Let's remember that as we sing songs that celebrate these truths, like in Christ alone. Let's remember that the next time we sing the song we just sang before this message, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And just as importantly, more importantly, let's remember this truth in our daily lives as we seek to serve the King of Kings whose justice and mercy met at the cross of Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. It was the price that had to be paid in his blood because that's what it took to redeem us, to forgive us. That's the best news possible. And we gratefully come to remember that best news here together tonight. The passage in Luke 
and there's passages in the other Gospels as well that recount this night, but we're going to close with this. He took bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you did indeed pour out your love for us on the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the reality of the love that's demonstrated in that moment when you said it is finished after Jesus suffered and died for our sins and shed his blood for my soul. We remember that as we come now to your table of grace. We remember that with grateful hearts, remembering that this is what it took. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, help us to uh, remember that truth, not just tonight as we come to your table of grace, but throughout our days to come as we walk with you and seek to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Keeping with what our brother Bill just said, the Apostle Paul addressed the situation in Corinth in which the people had begun to abuse the Lord's Supper. They made it just a part of a agape feast. There was no reverence, no self-examination. And so Paul wrote this to them. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, at the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, they were not grasping fully what they held in their hands as they partook. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hear then for all of us. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. If we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. Tonight, let's stand and sing as a prayer that God would examine our hearts and reveal to us that for which we need to ask his forgiveness as we come to the Lord's table. Search me, O God. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. From every sin and set me free. I praise thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill thy word and make me pure within. Fire where I once burned with shame. Grant my desire to magnify thy name. Lord, take my life and make it holy thine. Till my Poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, and my pride. I now surrender, Lord, in Father God, something totally beyond our understanding is how by faith we take this cup and this unleavened bread as the body and blood of Jesus. Lord, we know that can be true only with us as the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us the faith to accept it as such. And so tonight, Lord, we do pray that for each of us, indeed, as we hold in our hand the cup and hold in our hand the unleavened bread, that the sacredness of these elements would be deeply impressed upon us. And as we partake in a way we cannot explain, let us sense your infusion of life. As Jesus said, unless a man eats of my flesh and drinks my blood, there is no life in you. Take, eat, this which is broken for you is my body. Drink of this cup. This is a new covenant in my blood. Elder Troutman, would you, as we have in a very special way come to the Lord, confessed our faith in the cross, believing with all of our heart that someday when God says to each one of us, your journey is over, we will 
walk the streets of heaven together. Praise his holy name. Stand and sing with me, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control. Oh, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. This is what we look forward to. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well. Tonight, as you leave the auditorium, would ask you to do so quietly because there always are some who like to remain for a period of time 
and meditate upon the cross. This benediction from Hebrews 13. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.